This is section 24 of Mark Twain, a Biography. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, a Biography by Albert Bigelow Payne. Volume 1, Part 1, 1835 to 1866. Chapter 24 The River Curriculum. He acquired other kinds of knowledge as the streets of Hannibal in those early days, and the printing offices of several cities, had taught him human nature in various unvarnished aspects, so the river furnished an added course to that vigorous education. Morally, its atmosphere could not be said to be an improvement on the others. Navigation in the West had begun with crafts of the flatboat type, their navigators rude, hardy men, heavy drinkers, reckless fighters, barbaric in their sports, coarse in their wit, profane in everything. Steamboatmen were the natural successors of these pioneers, a shade less coarse, a thought less profane, a veneer less barbaric. But these things were mainly above stairs. You had but to scratch lightly a mate or a deckhand to find the old keel-boatmen's savagery, Captains were overlords, and pilots kings in this estate, but they were not angels. In Life on the Mississippi, Clemens refers to his chief's explosive vocabulary, and tells us how he envied the mate's manner of giving an order. It was easier to acquire those things than piloting, and, on the whole, quicker. One could improve upon them, too with imagination and wit and a natural gift for terms that samuel clemens maintained his promise as to drink and cards during those apprentice days is something worth remembering if he did not always restrict his profanity to moments of severe pressure or sift the quality of his wit we may also remember that he was an extreme example of a human being in that formative stage which gathers all as grist later to refine it for the uses and delights of men. He acquired a vast knowledge of human character. He says, In that brief, sharp schooling I got personally and familiarly acquainted with all the different types of human nature that are to be found in fiction, biography, or history. When I find a well-drawn character in fiction or biography, I generally take a warm personal interest in him for the reason that I have known him before, met him on the river. Undoubtedly the river was a great school for the study of life's broader philosophies and humors philosophies that avoid vague circumlocution and aim at direct and sure results humors of the rugged and vigorous sort that in europe are known as american and in america are known as western let us be thankful that mark twain's school was no less than it was and no more the demands of the missouri river trade took horace bixby away from the mississippi somewhat later and he consigned his pupil, according to custom, to another pilot. It is not certain now to just which pilot, but probably to Zeb Leavenworth or Beck Jolly of the John J. Rowe. The Rowe was a freight boat 
as slow as an island and as comfortable as a farm in fact the row was owned and conducted by farmers and sam clemens thought if john quarles farm could be set afloat it would greatly resemble that craft in the matter of good fellowship hospitality and speed it was said of her that upstream she could even beat an island though downstream she could never quite overtake the current but was a love of a steamboat nevertheless the row was not licensed to carry passengers but she always had a dozen family guests aboard and there was a big boiler deck for dancing and moonlight frolics also a piano in the cabin the young pilot sometimes played on the piano and sang to his music songs relating to the grasshopper on the sweet potato vine or to an old horse by the name of methuselah took him down and sold him in jerusalem a long time ago there were forty-eight stanzas about this ancient horse all pretty much alike but the assembled company was not likely to be critical and his efforts won him laurels he had a heavenly time on the john j row and then came what seemed inferno by contrast bixby returned made a trip or two then left and transferred him again this time to a man named brown brown had a berth on the fine new steamer pennsylvania one of the handsomest boats on the river and young clemens had become a fine steersman so it is not unlikely that both men at first were gratified by the arrangement but brown was a fault-finding tyrannical chief ignorant vulgar and malicious in the mississippi book the author gives his first interview with brown also his last one for good reasons these occasions were burned into his memory and they may be accepted as substantially correct brown had an offensive manner his first greeting was a surly question are you horace bigsby's cub bixby was usually pronounced bigsby on the river but brown made it especially obnoxious and followed it up with questions and comments and orders still more odious his subordinate soon learned to detest him thoroughly it was necessary however to maintain a respectable deportment custom discipline even the law required that but it must have been a hard winter and spring the young steersman put in during those early months of eighteen fifty eight restraining himself from the gratification of slaying brown time would bring revenge a tragic revenge and at a fearful cost but he could not guess that and he put in his spare time planning punishments of his own i could imagine myself killing brown there was no law against that and that was the thing i always used to do the moment i was abed instead of going over my river in my mind as was my duty i threw business aside for the pleasure and killed brown i killed brown every night for a month not in old stale commonplace ways but in new and picturesque ones ways that were sometimes surprising for freshness of design and ghastly for situation 
and environment. Once, when Brown had been more insulting than usual, his subordinate went to bed and killed him in seventeen different ways, all of them new. He had made an effort at first to please Brown, but it was no use. Brown was the sort of a man that refused to be pleased. No matter how carefully his subordinate steered, he was always at him. "'Here!' he would shout. "'Where are you going now? Pull her down!' Pull her down, don't you hear me? Dot darn mudcat! His assistant lost all desire to be obliging to such a person, and even took occasion now and then to stir him up. One day they were steaming up the river when Brown noticed that the boat seemed to be heading towards some unusual point. Here, where are you heading for now? he yelled. What in nation are you steering at, anyway, ding numbskull? Why, said Sam, in unruffled deliberation, I didn't see much else I could steer for, and I was heading for that white heifer on the bank. Get away from that wheel, and get out in this pilot house, yelled Brown. You ain't fit to become no pilot. Which was what Sam wanted. Any temporary relief from the carping tyranny of Brown was welcome. He had been on the river nearly a year now, and though universally liked and accounted a fine steersman, he was receiving no wages. There had been small need of money for a while, for he had no board to pay. But clothes wear out at last, and there were certain incidentals. The Pennsylvania made a round trip in about thirty-five days, with a day or two of idle time at either end. The young pilot found that he could get night employment, watching freight on the New Orleans levee and thus earn from two and a half to three dollars for each night's watch. Sometimes there would be two nights, and with a capital of five or six dollars he accounted himself rich. It was a desolate experience, he said long afterward, watching there in the dark among those piles of freight, not a sound, not a living creature astir, but it was not a profitless one. I used to have inspirations as I sat there alone those nights. I used to imagine all sorts of situations and possibilities. Those things got into my books by and by, and furnished me with many a chapter. I can trace the effect of those nights through most of my books in one way and another. Many of the curious tales in the latter half of the Mississippi book came out of those long night watches. It was a good time to think of such things. End of chapter 24 The River Curriculum Read by John Greenman